Welcome to Valley. Stand with us and sing this morning.
grateful that you've joined us this morning. It's a celebration this morning, and you get to participate this morning in that. If you've traditionally been to Easter before, you will recognize this, but this is how we start our Easter morning at our house, and you get to contribute. He is risen. He is risen. Have it to the fullest. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ the Lord is risen today.
morning and happy Easter. It's good to see our auditorium starting to fill up and we've been uh, just past two years. I remember a little over two years ago, we were thinking, do you think this, this was in March, do you think this is gonna go all the way through Easter? <laughs> well, it went over two years and so we're kind of slowly getting back and uh, today's a special day, Easter, that we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ and for those of you that are our guests, this is maybe your first time. I hope that you enjoy being with us and uh, that you'll come back. Some of you are from out of town. I'm not going to try to recognize everyone that's uh, a guest today but because uh, I'm going to miss some people. But I'm not going to miss Paul Malden. So Paul's in the back row. And uh, so we welcome him here. I think, Paul, this is the first time, right? Uh, they've been, I think you've been coming by watching on uh over the internet for two years now, so, so, <laughs> so, so Charlotte's probably watching as a number of other people, so uh, welcome to all of you. We look forward to celebrating today the resurrection of Christ, and I hope that today is special for you in that way. Uh, just a couple things that are available to you. You go out the back doors, there are refreshments, so if, if the sermon gets too long or boring, you can go out there and get your coffee. Um, bring it back in. And uh, we also have a table with resources that are free. And I always encourage people to take those. Uh, one of those is uh, Little Gospel of the John. Uh, Gospel of John you can fit in your pocket. In fact, this morning I'll be speaking from the Gospel of John. And also have a full Bible. If you'd like to pick up one of those and take, these are for your taking. If you like, if you don't have one, uh, these are available. If you have a friend that would like one, uh, take it for them. And then we have a little booklet called Ultimate Questions, and really deals with the questions that everybody has in life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? What is true? And it, it takes some scripture and tries to, to show what God says about answering some of those questions. So all those are available if you'd like to pick them up, and um, we look forward to visiting with you after our time of worship today. So we're going to have a prayer. Uh, scripture reading, and then we'll continue in our singing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day that you've given to us. The sun shining and a little warmer that we can uh, celebrate with friends and family the resurrection of Christ. And so I pray that this day would be blessed in every way. Thank you for everyone that came, especially those that are here as, as guests, uh, traveling, uh, some from a long, uh, long ways. And we just pray that this day would be an encouragement. It would be practical, it would be helpful, and it would be encouraging. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, 
they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. We're going to enjoy singing two other songs together of Christ and the hope that we have in Him. Would you stand with us? It is in Him that our hope is found. He is our light in us. In Christ alone. strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still.
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
don't know about you, but this is my favorite Sunday of the year. Of course, Diane says, you say that about every Sunday. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, it is my favorite Sunday of the year because it's what every Sunday celebration that we have, meeting together, uh, comes from. It is the resurrection of Christ. And so it's a special time. And I, I don't know how your day started or what you've been looking forward to today, but if we're just honest with each other, most of us are looking forward to food that will follow, uh, fun, and um, the chocolate bunny rabbits, and the Easter eggs, and the desserts, and being with family and friends, and all of those things. And I think God's blessed us with a lot of things that we can enjoy. And I think we all know that that's peripheral to the central idea of the resurrection of Christ. I don't think they're bad things. But it is easy for us sometimes to make what is peripheral central and what should be central to be peripheral. And so Easter is still a very, very popular holiday for everyone for different reasons. But if we're not careful, we can lose what is absolutely core and critical and central to our celebration. And so that's what I'd like to focus on today, just as we spend a, a brief time opening up the scriptures to see what God says about what is so central. Because I, I believe this, if we really grasp the true meaning and what is central about Easter, we enjoy everything else so much more. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the other things, but it, it means so much more when we come back to what is central. We've been going through on typical Sundays, 1 Corinthians, and then in chapter 15, where we have a, a definition of what we call the good news or uh, the gospel. You've heard the term gospel before, and um, it just simply means good news. And there's a definition of that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It goes like this. He says, this is Paul speaking to his friends. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So that in a nutshell, that's what we would call the good news in a nutshell, that three things happened. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again. And that is what we call the gospel. So I like to ask myself the so what question. <laughs> So, so what? What difference does that make? I mean, we can look at that as being these are the theological truths of the church or these are the doctrines of the church. But really, this entire book was written as a letter from God to you for practical reasons. In other words, to make a good difference in your life. So there should be a so what. And I hope that whenever you read God's word that you ask, so what? What difference does this really make in my life? And that's what I'd like to focus on primarily this morning, the, the difference that the resurrection makes and what God intended it to make, not just to be a doctrine to be put in a book or a creed to be quoted. Those things are good. But when it really does something in my life personally is when we have a great effect. So I'm going to turn to a, a verse in scripture and it's probably the most 
well-recognized verse in all of the Bible. See, I know you're wondering, why didn't you just pick something obscure? <laughs> and so you, you, you can guess. Um, you've probably seen it in the end zone of a football game a few years ago on a big yellow card, John 3.16. To me, you could take all of the Scripture, all of what God has said, 66 books with a, a lot of pages, <laughs> and boil it down to one sentence. The entire Bible into one sentence. And this sentence really shows us the effect of the resurrection. In other words, what happens because Christ rose from the dead. You've probably heard this, you're probably familiar with it, but what I'd like to do this morning is to unpack it with you. Just unpack what it's saying. We can't exhaust it because it's one of those things you have one sentence that you could never explore the depths, the heights of, of it. But in its simplicity, what does it really mean? And particularly, what does it mean for me? What difference does it make? And so what I'd like to do is see five, at least five things that we learn from this. Let me read the text first, and uh, you'll, you'll recognize this, of course. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So what do we learn from this? First of all, we learn something about eternal life. God gave and we have. So it begins by speaking about what God gave and what we have. There's something intended. We learn that eternal life is about a relationship with God forever. Let me say that again. Eternal life is, a, is about a relationship with God forever. It's, it's not just you're going to live a really long time because that could get depressing. If you have cert certain th other things aren't happening, if you say, you're just going to live a really long time, um, I have some questions. <laughs> okay, what kind of condition am I going to be in as this life gets longer? But this whole book is about God wanting you to have a relationship with him, not just to give you a life extension. So when people talk about, oh, I have eternal life, I'm going to live forever, oh, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to go to hell, I've got a fire escape. God didn't write this to just give you a fire escape. He didn't just write this to extend your life a really long time. He wrote this book to have a personal relationship with you. That's what he wants. And I think we, we understand this is not about religion. This is not about a, an institution. It is not about a culture. It is not about a system of works. It is not about a family tradition. It is about a personal relationship with God. Now, you may have heard that before, but I think that most churches function 
not on pointing people to that personal relationship, but more to following the rules and the regulations and the, the systems of their religion. And this relationship, one of the benefits of your relationship with God is that that will last forever. So the focus is not the length of time. The focus is on enjoying a personal relationship with him. The eternal life part is a, is a, is a gift that comes with that. But notice this, that about this eternal life. It, it's a relationship, but it's also a free gift. It's a free gift. I'll say that to people so many times. I say, this is a free gift. They say, okay, what do I got to do? That's just the way we're wired. Okay, what do I got to do? Or what do I owe you? No, this is a free gift. We don't know what to do with that. We really struggle because we, we kind of live in a culture of a meritocracy, you know, where by merit, I do, 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 I do all these things, I check all these boxes, I, I go to church, I don't do these things, I do these things. We love lists. We love, love check boxes. We love performance. And I think in our culture today, it just kind of makes us feel good about ourselves, that we did something to get something. But this, the one thing that this verse is very clear about is that the relationship with God and eternal life is a free gift. You can't buy it. You can't check boxes off. You can't do a whole bunch of good works. All of the good works you could ever do in your life or all the money you could ever pay could not replace this. It only comes that way. You say, well, I don't want a free gift. I want to pay for it. <laughs> not offered that way. And so that's the nature of it. And we experience this at Christmas. I mean, our kids love Christmas, don't they? I mean, um, it's like we just got finished with that. And we're looking forward to the next one. A uh, tree is full of presents, and the kids are kind of stacking them up and organizing them and how you open them all up. And, and these are all, they're all gifts. Now, they're not cheap because someone paid for them. You'll probably see that on your credit card in January. Uh, so there is a price that's paid, but for the person receiving it, it's free. And it's given by someone to, uh, for them. And that's, that's the nature of this, the free gift. So in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul kind of spells this out. He says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. You know, I bought this, I paid for this, I did this. You know, none of that will work. So I think that's what we understand about eternal life. And, and this is what we learn from John 3.16. We learn this about eternal life. It is about relationship with God forever. And it is a free gift from God to you. And I don't just mean in this sense you as a group, you personally, individually, because our group is made up of individuals. So that's what we learn about eternal life. Secondly, from this verse, we, we learn something about mankind. And he talks about this, the world, for God so loved the world. And there are three different usages in the Greek New Testament for world. And uh, one of those is humanity, people, and that's the one here. It's not just the earth or the, 
the um, system that is uh, of the cosmos, it is, it is people. And so we learn something about mankind or people, men, women, children, in John 3.16. What is it that we learn? And we see this word perish. <laughs> now, I look at that word perish, I thought that's kind of like an old language, how perish, but it's actually to be brought to nothing, completely wiped out and destroyed. So what we, we learn about mankind is that the problem or the condition is that people are perishing. People are dying. The thing that reminded me just recently of this, and I think in the last couple months, I've um, participated in three, four funerals. Um, people are dying. Not all of these people were old. Some of them are. But it just is a reminder that the clock is ticking. I don't know if you noticed, but this last year you got older. Now, your kids didn't notice that. You know, it, it's kind of like, yeah, they were high-fiving all the way up through 16, 18, 21. Um, 30 is a little not as exciting, 40. And then when, you're, when your kids are 40, um, now, now you're starting to, they're, they're feeling it, and then you're starting to feel it. But, but here's the truth. The entire world is perishing. It is dying. Now, that may sound like really bad news, and it is, <laughs> but we're moving to the good news. But, but think about this. Long ago, in the very first chapter, um, or third chapter of the Bible, we read about you know, God created, chapters 1 and 2, God created the world. It was perfect. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. He said it's good. Everything is good. Created man, created woman, it is good. Brought them together, it is good. Everything is good. Chapter 3, sin enters into the world. And it's not because God put that in that that was part of his plan. It was part of Adam and Eve's rebellion to God, choosing not to follow his way, which was good. And as a result, the whole earth got plunged into sin. And that's why when you look around and you see decay and death and sorrow and sickness and pain and misery, that is part of the consequence of that decision. So we live in a fallen world. You see it everywhere you go. Um, all of us feel the pain and the agony. In fact, in, in Romans 8, Paul talks about how all of creation is groaning. <laughs> And sometimes you feel that collective groan. And we also have a sinful nature now. Because if you go back far enough on Ancestry.com, you're going to end up with Adam. Now, probably yours didn't get you back that far, but it does go all the way back to Adam. And so Adam's son and sons and sons and daughters all the way through are all sinners. So even when we want to do right, we don't do right. Have you experienced that? I mean, I, I want to do the right thing. I didn't do the right thing. I didn't want to do that right. And we think, this is a problem. And so we experience sin day to day, and ultimately we will experience death. And I think this, that 
the, the experience of death is both because we're physical people and spiritual. We're both physical and spiritual people. We die in both ways. So that's what it means, what's happening, and why really this whole verse was given to us, because God saw the perfect world he made got messed up. And you say, well, why would, if a loving God, if he was really loving, he would not even have allowed that. Have you thought that? I've thought that. I mean, most kids will think that. If God was really loving, he never would have put that tree in the garden because didn't he know they were going to eat of it? But the truth is, if God did not give them a choice, then actually there is no relationship. It's not, you can't have a relationship with a person who you'd give them no choice about it. I know in some countries they do that arranged marriages. I know I have to tell people about that. I said, that does not sound exciting. <laughs> so if God says, okay, you're going to love me and you're going to obey me and you're going to have friendship with me. No, you don't, there's no alternative. Well, that's not really a relationship. So when God did this, and I've shared this many times, but I think it's important we understand when God gave you the opportunity to choose to have a relationship with him, there's a risk. And of course, Adam and Eve chose wrongly. But as soon as they did, as soon as they messed up and the world plunged into sinful state, God began his plan of rescue. And you see it right in the same chapter. So that's what we, we learn. We're, we're sinners. We're dying Every year we get older, and the clock is ticking, and soon your number will be called. I don't want to sound morbid, but this is what happens. And the reality of that comes truer all the time. So we learn something about eternal life. We learn something about mankind that's perishing. The third thing is we learn something about God. We learn something about God. In fact, John 3.16 starts off for God. So when I say the word God, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? If, you, if someone were to say, give me a one-word description of God, or, or I give you several words, how would you describe God? A.W. Tozer, a popular speaker and author, he's now gone, uh, said, what you think about when you first think of God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God. I would say this, as I, as I talk to people, because I'll ask them this question often, I'll say, tell me, what do you think God is like? How do you picture God? Usually it's, well, he's up there, <laughs> distant. He's a judge. He's righteous. He's holy. A little bit scary. And that's how they picture God. God is far away and distant, sometimes unfair, and most likely unknowable. But what does this verse say about God? What is the first thing that it says about God in John 3.16? He's a loving God. He's a loving God. The face of God is love. 
And if you take your Bible and just be honest with what it says from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find, yes, man is messed up and man and mankind has fallen and sin has entered the world and the whole world is groaning. But you will see that all through the Bible, God shows his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his tenderness, and his patience. That's why I say this verse sums up the entire Bible because it says, For God so loved the world. And you could just take your name and put it in the world. You, personally. Us, collectively. He loved the world. If there's one thing about God I wish I could just tell people and, and convince them of, it's the love of God. It seems like it gets clouded because of people not understanding. Diane showed me an article this morning that was written Friday in the New York Times. An essay was published calling for us to kill a hateful God. To kill a hateful God. Now that's kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> to kill a hateful God. Because some people see God as mean. He's hateful. He does things that we don't understand. We hate God. There are a lot of people out there that do hate God. And I think that's because they don't understand him. The sin was not part of his perfect plan. That's what we did and continue to do. That God's plan is one out of love to rescue us from that. Romans 5.8, it says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.32, it says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How could you doubt the love of God when he has given his own son and all through scripture has proven time and time again of his enduring and faithful love? But that's not all that God is. God is not just love. God is also all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. And he is holy. He is just. You know, if God were not just, he really couldn't be good. Could he? You take a judge at a court. And you say, well, he, he, he's not, he doesn't do what's right. Is that good? Is that fair? So when you, when you consider God, he foremost, and I, and I feel, this is, this is Matt speaking to you, when I read the scriptures, the face of God is love. But he's more than that. And he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is pure, and he is incapable of doing evil. In 1 Peter 1, he says, I'm holy. You be holy. In 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says that God dwells in unapproachable light. <laughs> what a description. In Exodus 34, it says he will by no means clear the guilty. So he must be just. He must punish sin. All of these things are true about God. So what, what it does 
when you take all of what God is, that he is, on the one hand, loving, he's also holy, it does create a problem. <laughs> it's a dilemma. If you could picture it this way, God loves you, he's created a home in heaven for you, he sent his son for you, and um, his son is preparing a home in heaven, and the whole point of writing to you is relationship for eternity. He wants that, so he says, come. But he's also holy. We're not. So how do unholy people who are decaying in their sin and sinning constantly get into a perfect heaven? just can't happen. Because no longer be a holy place. You can't be in, you can't have relationship, unholiness and wickedness and holiness. You cannot have relationship. So to me, this creates an incredible amount of tension, which is solved by our next point. We've learned that something about God, but next we're going to learn something about his son. Something about God's Son. God gave His only Son. This is how He solves the problem of His holiness and His love coming together. So who is Jesus? Well, in the first 12 verses of chapter 1 of John, we find out something interesting, that Jesus is present at creation. <laughs> He's created all things. He's one with the Father, and he is God. Jesus is God. Now, that will make your brain hurt. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things that will make your brain hurt. They do for me. I'm thinking, it's hard for me to comprehend all this. But Jesus is God. He is perfect. He is perfect God, and he's also man. He, is, he came in flesh and blood. This word Emmanuel means God with us. So why is it important that Jesus be God-man? Because as God, he is perfect. And so he can be a perfect substitute to sacrifice for our sins. He's also man. So he can take my place. He is absolute perfection. It, it is only possible for him to do what he did by coming to the earth, becoming man, living a perfect and righteous life, offering himself in our place as a substitute. Most people don't realize this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't deserve that. He did that for you. That's what you deserved and he did that for you. If he were like any other man, he couldn't do that for you because he's just another sinner. But he was the God who died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. And then when he did that, he offered to us the gift of eternal life. And this is what I call the greatest offer ever given, is a relationship with God for eternity that Jesus Christ offers by what he did on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He was buried and they were separated 
as far as the east is from the west. He rose again and conquered both sin and death. And then, here's the key, he offers to you, he offers to you the free gift of eternal life. That's why he did this. Relationship with his father. When I, when I picture this, um, you know, I think it's such an amazing thing that happened on this weekend. It changed the course of life. The final thing I want us to learn something about is about faith. Because if this gift, free gift from God, out of love, wanting a relationship, because we're in our perishing state, by Christ accomplishing, actually Christ has paid for the value of the gift, he offers it to us. How do I own it? How do I go from an intellectual knowledge of all of this facts to personal relationship? Now, don't get nervous because I'm not going to ask you to go do something right now, okay? I just I want to share this with you. Um, this is one of the most amazing things, how simple God makes it for us. In fact, Jesus said it this way, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So how do you and I receive a free gift? Well, watch your kids at Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it's not complicated. But here we go with this. You heard, you remember the, the old movie, The Godfather? I'm going to make him an offer you can't refuse. This offer you can refuse. God does not force this on you. He does not force this on you. He offers it to you. That's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? You also hear, that's too good to be true. If something's good, it has to be true. If it's really good, it has to be true. It's really not too good to be true. It is true and it is good. It is the best thing that ever happened to a person. So how do we receive this? We learn something about faith. Now faith is what we all have. We have faith that the sun's going to come up. We have faith in the weather. We have faith in friends. We have faith in knowledge of things. But this is different. The nature of this faith is not just a mental ascent. There's a verse in the book of James that says, the devil, the devils believe, and they tremble. You say, the devil believes in God? Yeah, he believes in him. But that's not the same kind of faith. He's not putting his trust, he's not putting the trust into a relationship with God. The devil doesn't do that, but the devil believes God is real, I believe that. So we're not talking about a mental Ascent. A lot of people have that. I believe in God. You know, I believe in the Rocky Mountains. I believe in a lot of things. It's not talking about that. In John 1 and verse 12, this very first chapter of John, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God. And then a beautiful picture, you may have seen this painting, describes in Revelation, John also was writing here, and Jesus speaking in this case, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's Jesus knocking on the door of your life. What does he want? He wants to come in and have a relationship with you. So he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And he says, And will eat with him and he with me. In other words, he will not kick the door down. He's not going to force this relationship on you, but he's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, will you let me come in? You've heard the expression before, asking Jesus into your heart. Your heart is who you are, your your mind, your will, your emotions. This, This is, I think that's probably where people get that of. He doesn't physically come into your heart, but his spirit does when you invite him in. And so what is taking place, it is not just a, it is not a mental ascent, it is a transfer of trust. And so in my life, I'm traveling this way, my way, the old Frank Sinatra song I did on my way, <laughs> dating myself a bit there, but, you know, it could be my way of religion, or my way of achievement, or my way of money, or My way of doing all these things, I'm going my way. And and Jesus says, turn to me. And this is is what repent, the word repent means actually change of mind. It's I, from all of these things, from whatever it is, I turn and I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone for eternal life. It's a transfer of my trust. It's not just... A mental ascent is a transfer of my trust to him. And so simple, a child could do it. I kind of like I tell people when when Diane and I got married, I said, do you realize that when I said yes to you, I said no to every other woman in the world? And she she said, like, they really cared, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't really say that. But, but in a sense, isn't it like that, though, when, when you say, I do? When you say yes to one woman, you say no to whatever, how many billion are in the world that don't care that I'm saying yes to one woman. So that's, that's the idea. Repentance is all of, all of the other things, the other ways, the other religions I turn to Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think, you know, we call that the exclusivity of Christ. In other words, he's exclusive. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that. How can you say it's only Christ? There are other ways. Jesus said it's the only way because he is the only one who laid down his life as an atonement for your sins. He is the only one in his resurrection conquered death. None of the other religions do that. None of the other ways do that. They don't resolve the sin problem by dying on a cross as a perfect atonement, and they don't resolve the life problem by rising from the dead. So that's what he offers to you. Forgive your sin, 